hello everyone welcome to exploring horizons uh the horizons new book club podcast um it is november 1st 2019 this month's book is the first girl child by i forgot the author's name <laughs> amy this is Harman. ruined amy it's okay because he said exploring <laughs> horizons <laughs> Yeah, um, that'll be spamming. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> oh, I no. shoot. From the top. <laughs> From the top. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Expanding Horizons, the Horizons new book club podcast. This is our inaugural episode. It is November 1st, 2019. We read The First Girl Child by Amy Harmon. And uh, joining me today, um, I have my friends here, Abe. Hello, and I'd like to just remind everyone that the words wet intimacy appear in this book. Okay. <laughs> we have a new friend with us, uh, Jelly. Hello. Uh, we also have Caleb. That's me. Uh, and our friends, Cassie. Hi, everyone. And Sam. Hello, everybody. And of course, my name is Alex. Um, so today we're going to be talking about this book, The First Girl Child. Uh, we've all read it and finished it, hopefully. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the author, um, Cassie, I believe you had a few things about the author to share. Yes, Alex. So the author is Amy Harmon. She is a New York Times bestseller and has written 14 novels. Uh, Some of her popular novels are Making Faces, Running Barefoot, The Law of Moses, and she actually has an upcoming release, Where the Lost Wander. The genres that fit these books are fiction, romance, and chiclet. Just to give you an idea of where we're coming from, our book specifically is fantasy. Right, so that was our genre for this month, fantasy. Basically, just to go over a little bit what the book is about. Uh, first of all, I just want to say all these are, podcasts are going to be spoiler-filled to the brim. We're discussing everything in detail. So just make sure you've read the book before you listen. Um, to, to generalize it, I would say you meet Bayer, who comes into existence in a cursed land. And the, the book is about the story of how everyone is dealing with this curse. Um, which we'll we'll go into. I guess we can just say the curse is that no girls are being born in the whole kingdom land. Yeah, it's basically an island kingdom. Yeah. In the um, kind of a fantasy Norse area. Um, and then the it's a very unique fantasy island with you know a king on the mountaintop and six pie wedge essentially countries surrounding it um but yeah basically it's about bear and his his growth and life and then the name of the book obviously being the first girl child and so there's the um quote unquote first girl child born in i believe 7 years uh, that that uh, most of the book revolves around. I think it's seven. It is, yes, I believe it's seven. I think it's seven. So I okay. I went through and did the best I could at making a timeline. And from my timeline, the first girl child is Alba, and she's born when Bayer is seven, which oh. is when the curse starts. 
And we also wanted to touch on the theme real quick, what we, or what we believe the theme to be. Um, I didn't really get a strong impression of what the theme was. And I, I believe that's... So I did write something down about it. Um, I was kind of getting the feeling that they were trying to lean into a follow your own dreams sort of situation and like don't let people tell you what to do in life. Like you have to live life the way you want to live it. Um, when it comes to how Dagmar interacts with his dad and how Dread interacts with Bear later. But then at the same time, Bear basically just gets told what to do the entire bo- book and just does it. <laughs> oh boy, boy, I was thinking the yeah. yeah, exact same thing. Yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's funny because I completely agree with you on this, but one of the themes I saw was duty. Like the duty, duty. to... Well, it was... To... The... It was. I think it. Well, those are one and the same, right? It's. It. They present duty constantly, and the need for them to do their duty, but then also present people trying to go against that, and and the the internal struggle that they have with not fulfilling their duty in order to try to do something that they want to do. And I think that that the fact that Bear does always do his duty is what makes him a different character in the book than the rest of the characters. I don't, I mean, I feel like the others always do their duty. Like, Master Ivo and Dagmar are very much duty-filled. Ghost has her duty towards but they things, all and do so... Their duty. They all chose what they wanted to do and pursued that. Whereas Bear never got a choice like y'all said and that does make him unique bear's duty is loyalty that is his duty his loyalty he's a very loyal person mm-hmm. but loyalty even to his own self-detriment right yes right. very much so. right whereas the other ones aren't willing to be that level of selfless they they think they're being selfless like ghost thinks she's being selfless to um you know protect alba and and watch over her but really it's not it's really selfish desire to be there and watch her that has her stay as opposed to bear even though he has the selfish desire to watch over her still follows his duty to all of salok and to dolphus and leaves interesting interesting okay so, actually, that makes a little bit more sense than what I, what I got from it. No, I'm not saying that. And the way it's all presented is that that's not necessarily the right choice. Right? Like, they're not necessarily painting Bear as the higher moral fiber than the other characters because he makes that choice. Well, sure. no, they kind of are. I feel, like they, I feel like they're trying to, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to say what your other theme was, or can I steal it? Uh, you can steal it, and it might be because of our current new status in the world. Yeah, so when Jelly asked Sam what he thought the theme was, he said parenting. And I will say that I was like Alex in the beginning, like, I'm not really sure what the theme of this book is. But parenting really struck with me as the theme once I said it, because everybody is parenting somebody. I mean, it talks, it's Dagmar parenting 
affair the whole time, and then Ghost and her parenting. I mean, her being the parent of Alba, but then not even getting to parent. Even Bear is trying to parent Alba in yeah. the absence of her mother, which, you know, the probably the most, um, you know, on a pedestal character in the whole book was um, Queen... Oh, I just forgot oh, Alana. her name. Oh, Alana. Alana. You know, that was the only character who was kind of just constantly portrayed as as just good, right? Everybody else had their flaws. Um, even Bear, for all of his kindness and loyalty, had a, a built-in flaw with his speech that, you know, that they kind of beat to death, but... <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can consider that the same sort of... Thing, it's not though. a it's moral like a, flaw. Yeah, it's yeah. not like a character flaw. It's like just a physical inability. So let, let's talk about that for a second. As far as I don't know if we have a character section, is it okay to jump off into characters? There's no reason not to. So sure, we can we can talk about characters. So, what did y'all think about the fact that Bear had very little in the way of character flaws? I would almost admit that Bear had very little in the realm of character period (laughs) (laughs) would you like to elaborate i mean he doesn't really he doesn't really have any like motivation for anything he just sort of people tell him to do stuff and he does stuff and he just does things um he gets thrown into becoming the chieftain because like that's the next thing he needs to do apparently you see him when he's seven and it's hard to have like a fully fleshed out character that's a seven-year-old i feel like where right you're a seven-year-old in the world of adults and you don't really see anything that's like a driving character motivation until you get to the last six chapters of the book so what about some of the other characters so to remind you the characters i wrote down as being prevalent characters in here are desdemona i mean she sets the whole world in action um dagmar you have dread Banrude, Bear, Ghost, Alba, and I think the Temple Girls are worth like putting in their characters. character themselves yeah. Yeah. together. Yeah. Like, I, when I sat down and thought, who are the characters in this book? That That's who I wrote down. There are obviously more, like there's Elena, the, the queen, uh, Master Ivo, I didn't even include him, and he's actually a really big character through most of it. it there's like the other chieftains and things. I would even leave Desdemona out because she's in it for what the prologue and part of chapter one. Yeah, I mean Desdemona and and Aliana are they're they are to give the other characters something to you know reference back to, sure. but not so much. I argue that Desdemona is a character because of the fact that she sets the entire world, the entire book that we're about to read into motion. So she is pregnant with Bear. Um, and Banrood is the father, and in her dying breaths, she curses all of Salok and says that no girls will be born to the kingdom, while also cursing Banrood and saying that no, he will not have any more heirs outside of Bear. And so I think she's worth noting as a character she's definitely important to the story but if the book started with a meteor crashing into the planet and saying that sent the world into chaos we wouldn't name the meteor a character right Right. essentially consider her a part of the setting right yeah 
and and I almost feel the same way about the queen. Oh, I don't. I didn't write her down as a character, the queen. Right. I mean, she. Is... But let's talk about some of the other characters that are. Yeah. You know, Dagmar obviously had a, a. He was probably my favorite character. I would okay. say. Okay. So background on Dagmar is Dagmar is Desdemona's brother and is the uncle to Bear, and he raises Bear at the temple. So Sam, do you want to talk about why Dagmar Which is was a your big favorite? Deal. So yeah, so Dagmar. So right off the bat, I I find it really interesting when there's a character who has a different interpretation of strength. So he his father was a powerful warrior, and I expected his son to become a powerful warrior, but he did not. His daughter Desdemona did, and Dagmar always wanted to be a keeper, a a monk who uses blood runes to, you know, see the future and and the world and guide the whole island from a religious standpoint. And so he defied his father to go become a keeper. And that is a type of strength and courage that is so interesting because it's, it's easy to be strong in the warrior sense. I think, I think it's much harder to say, no, I'm going to go do what I think is right. And I, I almost think it's harder to deny your father in that way and go do that. And then, obviously, he overcomes his fear and confronts Master Ivo, who's this, um, you know, master, the highest keeper, and says that, you know, if he won't let him raise Bear, that he will kill himself, basically, and, you know, insists. And so he defies him and is able to raise this baby in basically a monastery, which would be strictly forbidden otherwise. And then um, all the way to the very end, he, you know, he's made pledges and vows to the monastery to not have any love interests. And despite having someone living in the temple with them, who he is incredibly um, attached to and attracted to, uh, tries to live to his vows and has a strength there uh, against his own flesh. And so I, I think that just the... The all the different ways that Dagmar exhibits strength that are non-standard and not what you typically see, I thought was really interesting and made him a very interesting character. Also, just uh, what, like I said before, that I thought the theme was parenting. I thought it was very interesting to see the the techniques that he used in his parenting style and just his his care for Bear. So, through all of that stuff, that's that's why Dagmar was my favorite character. So. Here's what ruins Dagmar for me. So there's a general concern I have. He he doesn't really do a lot, which is a general concern I have for like every character. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> really does a ton. My real major concern for Dagmar is the very end when he says something along the lines of, I knew all along I could break the curse, but it would cost me my life and I couldn't I couldn't do that. So it pretty much like counteracts like all of the stuff that's built up about him being like this strong character that has this big sense of like a moral strength and like all this stuff like that. Because he's like, oh, I could have saved everybody this whole time, but I didn't because I didn't want to give up my own life. That's that's very fair. Yeah, I I think that kind of fits with him in general because he's pretty selfish a lot of the time, I think. Like he yeah. chooses to become a keeper instead of a warrior, which that's like, OK. But then when Ivo asks him. What if he doesn't become a keeper and he says he'll kill himself instead? That seems very selfish thing to do. Yeah. Right? Uh, and then he does. Yeah, some other things like Alex mentioned, like the 
could have sacrificed himself to save an entire civilization and doesn't. Doesn't. I will say that I felt like Dagmar had doubt that it would work. That, like, you know, when he picked up Bear for the first time, it's not like he could have been like, oh, I'll just reverse this right now by killing myself and spilling my blood. Like, I think he had doubt that that would even work. Um, well, and he so certainly he did had it with doubt. his dying breath. Yeah, he, well, he had doubt that her runes would work. But then after seeing her runes work, it he he could have at the very least, like y'all are saying, he could have at the very least mentioned to Ivo where the rune, what had happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and maybe and, Ivo would know, like, hey, and, we can counteract those runes with this or and something, because he's real smart. Because there wasn't any reason for him not to. I think he mentions a reason being that Ivo might sacrifice Bear to do it. Yeah. That, and that I also think he's ashamed. I think he's ashamed that his sister has brought, you know, a, a draught on their land of girls. I, I, I think, I think he is weak in personality. Like I, I think he just has that weakness of being ashamed and being selfish. He is human. Actually, I feel like he's the most human character out of all of the ones that they present to you. And this discussion really spun on, on Dagmar here. <laughs> <laughs> like, looping back into theme for a minute, like what, what I pulled from this was protection um, and the idea of um, I guess the, the idea about taking care of people you love and things that you love or feel are important. <laughs> Um, and that is, I think, sums up Dagmar's character is his, his like, his number one purpose and reason for doing anything is to protect Bear. So, like, everything he does is for that reason. And, and, um, that's also why I would argue that he's the main character of this book, even though the book gets a little confused at points. <laughs> yeah. Dagmar's um, the main character? Yeah. I I would also agree that Dagmar is the main character. Which everything centers around him. I think the book wants Bear to be the main character, but I think Dagmar actually is. Yeah, it kind of feels like that at points. I think you always want the hero to be the main character, but I I think you're right that Dagmar is the main character in this book. It's also the hero in this book. Is Ghost the main character of this book? Could we not say that Ghost is the main character of this book? I'm very intrigued to see what your argument is for Ghost being the main character. Well, I mean, I guess, does the main character mean that it's entirely about this person? Because I feel like Ghost is always in the background, uh, which is great. But she... Okay, see if I can convey my thoughts. I just had this thought while y'all were talking, and I was like, well, it doesn't really feel like Dagmar to me. It feels feels more like Ghost. I mean, the last line of the book is about Ghost, to be fair. Yeah. So, but... Okay, so my argument is that Ghost brings in the first girl child. She is, she fights her way to this temple to watch over her. And while they don't constantly talk about Ghost, she is always there. And I feel like she's the main, maybe she's not the main progressor. Maybe I'm just entirely wrong. But <laughs> I think it's I mean, fair continue. to say that she's fascinating character and maybe she's one of the better characters. Major character. She's a major character. I mean, she'd probably not be the main character. So the book feels to me like it's written from, like, Dagmar is telling it to you. Though in some cases you're looking through other people's eyes 
But the overarching feeling I get is that Dagmar is telling you the story. And I could be wrong. We'll just go with Dagmar as the main character. <laughs> He's more of a main character than Bayer is. Which is problematic because Dagmar, like, actively doesn't do anything. He j It's not that he doesn't do anything, he, like, actively doesn't do anything, if that makes sense. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he, he purposefully goes out of his way to not do to things. To not do stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he does do a lot. He brings Ghost into the temple. I mean, small little acts. And he kind of, like, nudges here and there. I guess he doesn't do that much. Well, it the world like... around him... <laughs> go ahead, Caleb. It feels like for most of the characters, the story happens, and they kind of just go with the flow. And do whatever the story dictates. We should talk about the real main character of this book, which is Banrood. Who <laughs> is the best character and deserves to be in more of this book. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say Banrood is my favorite. Who? Banrood. Banrood? Yeah. I thought he, he was like has a goal. It was nice. He does have a goal and he he's... does have, you know, some cleverness. I still just feel like he's a villain to be a villain. I, but that's kind of how I felt, too. I was like, why does he act so mean? He doesn't have any reason to be as cruel as he is. Well, sure, it would be more power. advantageous to him to be a little bit less cruel and to not do these egregious things that make him into a true villain. I didn't I didn't really understand. I understood why he, you know, would steal the girl child and why he would bring the uh, girls to be the daughters of the keepers and why he would you know um do all these things to cover up his crimes and stuff but the last few chapters of the book when he just becomes like an all-out villain basically didn't make a lot of sense to me i don't know i mean vanrood looks for power and power only and that's why i think he's just a weak villain i mean even the last few chapters of the book are just purely for power misguided in the sense of how he tries to go about it but but like why what what is his he, he's a smart guy but it doesn't seem like a smart decision to marry alba to gudrun i don't think that he's a smart guy i i do not agree that he is a smart guy i i do not find him witty or cunning i feel like master ivo shuts him down frequently and twists his own words like twist ban sure, Master words. Ivo is certainly more clever. Sure, but, but like... what I'm saying is I don't think he's that clever. I think he was... I think in the world of Salok, the man who beats his fist harder on his chest becomes the king. In the sense that they do have an order um, where they go in like a circular of all the different uh, factions, for lack of a better word. But in this I mean, case... That's... That's true. Like, even in the beginning, they see, like, bears real strong. And so they're like, oh, let's make him king, even though yeah. he's a kid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's kind of weird. But, but then Banner's like, oh, I have girl child. And they're like, yeah, you beat your chest harder. You finally have the girl. Let's make you king. Like, So let's, let's before we get too far away from theme, uh, what about the theme that Desdemona was trying to set with her curse? She had a goal, right? She said... The men of this land do not treat their women properly, so they don't deserve to have any. That's why she set her curse, right? She was a woman scorned, and she's like, screw it, no more girls for you. Did, did anybody learn their lesson after an 18-year <laughs> drought? Because I didn't get the feeling that anything was going to change after all of this. 
Women no. can now be keepers, but that's like the only thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see that power progression of them just being like people that hang out at the temple to being yeah. like like learning some stuff to becoming full fledged keepers, and then like and then all the guys die, and the girls and then yeah happen they, like, to take not over. be there. Yeah, yeah. I don't think yeah. anybody learns their lesson because I think at no. one point Master Evo says something about it must be the men of Salak, and they're like, yeah, right. It's not <laughs> well, us. Well, that was in the and... middle of the curse, so... I know, but I'm just You saying, know, that like, was like ten years in. They still don't believe it ten years in that it could mm -hmm. be their fault that they seem to... The men of Salak are not at fault. Even in their think... minds, even yeah. ten years in. I don't think they ever once think it's their fault. It's actually really interesting to me that um Yulia, which I know that we all pronounce it as Julia if you read the book. Um <laughs> but there is a pronunciation guide in the book and it is supposed to be Yulia. But she is a female child born out of rape and her mother is Salak and the father is a uh, can't remember I think it was a Hinderman. Might have been an Ortman. No, it's a it's a Hinderman. But I found it really interesting that she was born and not immediately that it was a huge thing because I believe she's older than 10 or she's not older than 10. I don't actually know, but um, the point is, is that they only cared about men lineage. Yeah. There was evidence. They only cared. That... Yeah. That, that men must use their seed as they put it in the book to produce their offspring, and they only care about those offspring being female after this drought because that's a big concern. Um, and, of course, it's not their fault that they don't have any girls. So we all agree. Nobody learned anything. This 18-year <laughs> drought was pointless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It also got worse because they they went and raided and stole women from other yeah. places, right? Yeah. Yeah, so actually but it was worse good. for yeah. women. That really yeah. can't be the theme in that case. Like, good right? try, Desdemona. I know, she tried really hard. <laughs> Can I say that my favorite character is, I believe his name is Aiden of Adyar. He was pretty he, great. He is a very minor character, but he always stands up against the king. Always and stood up out to the, the king. Flaws. Like, um, yeah, he just did not care. He'd he just be did like, not care. Nah, man, that's not how this works. Yeah, so at one point, great. every tribe, or I called them factions earlier, is required to bring a a young woman up to the temple to be a temple girl. And Aiden is just like, you've got Alba. She's the daughter of the king and her mother was of Adyar. You don't need an Adyar woman. And that just cracked me up. Because <laughs> the king is a very selfish, and this is why I think the king is not witty. He wants to be witty, but he's frequently outsmarted in these cases. So. Yeah. Yeah, but he... So I guess he's witty against who is supposed to be the main character, Bear, and constantly is getting one over on Bear, especially towards the end. You know, he has that whole if that whole evening planned out of how to deal with Bear. And that's not something he had previous time to plan out because he showed up and Bear was there which he hasn't been there for 10 years, so he didn't expect him to be there. But then he knew every line to say to get under Bear's skin and send him reeling off into the woods like a sad little boy. 
Can I can I ask a question? Yes. Did anybody like Alba? I mean, out of no. the characters available, I mean, she might have been higher on the list, but I don't think I really liked any of the characters. So I felt like you didn't like Ghost. No. <laughs> Not it, really. It was a I mean the characters in this book are very strange, but I just asked because Alba to me felt extremely flat of a person. Mm-hmm. Like she was just there. Yeah, anytime they talked about her, they described how interesting she was and how everybody loved her and how she could, you know, commune with animals and all this interesting stuff, but then Anytime we saw her doing any actions, the words did not, you know, come out like in a, those actions. It was like a show don't tell sort of situation. Yeah. They were yeah. telling instead of showing. Right. Yeah. They were like, she's great. I promise. You'd love her if you met her. But then she just seemed like a whiny child that couldn't get her way. Yeah. She could get her way with Bear eventually. <laughs> I I feel like we should move on to the initial thoughts and general impressions, just because like we're like all over. Well, well, because I feel like we have so much to say, and well, I I think we've pretty much we've been on characters for a while. Okay, well, I want to say that this book does a horrible job, in my opinion, at introducing magical concepts and having nothing to do with them, like the fact that (laughs) Alba and Ghost can like commune with animals and have them do what they want. But, like, they use it, like, twice in the book, but there's no explanation to it. Absolutely none. Yep. There's no yeah. mention of, like, if Northman or Hindman or these other... Because Ghost is not actually of Salok, and thus Alba... So Ghost is Alba's mother. She is... Neither of them are of Salok. But it never mentions if any of these other clans outside of Salok have this ability. And it seems so, so weird to me. Do so they this gets it? a little bit into um, just the idea of like world building and like if the author is doing a good job at conveying just like, you know, the magical properties of the world, like things outside of the immediate area where the characters are at, stuff like that. And I don't think that she does a good job in any way, really. So did, did anyone else have an issue with Salok being this perfect island of... Six <laughs> pointed like star, star. Yeah. yeah, pulled from the ground. Now, now they did throw out that it was you know Odin pulled it from the sea to make it for his son Salok. So like at least she had some explanation as to why this perfect island existed, but it still felt kind of cheap to me. Instead yeah. of saying like, oh, it's this tucked in peninsula with this mountain range, then that's why it's a different country than these other countries or something like that. It, it was just like. Yes, this perfect island with six even, and that's the thing, six even tribes that all live together in harmony, even though they're warring tribes, none of them say, you know what, I want more land. I'm going to go take over this other tribe, and my tribe's going to be twice as big as all the other tribes. Wasn't there talk of infighting in the, in the early parts of the book? There was, tribes? and then at the end of the book, they say, the tribes have never fought against each other like they are now. <laughs> this is crazy. We shouldn't be raiding each other. Yeah, because what was it? <laughs> Burn is raiding Dolphies or whatever. Yeah. Now another cheap world building thing that I actually loved is all the names being, you know, having the sound of where they were from. Yeah. Like all the Burn names were B names, and I was like, man, that makes this so much easier to read and know who everybody is. <laughs> so yeah. if I yeah, if from. I were to live on Salok, 
I would completely understand the entire world that I lived in, to be honest with you. Like, I felt like she did a good job at building the world of Sailock itself. And I didn't find the six-pointed star thing cheap because I didn't imagine it literally as a six-pointed star, though I know in the book there's a picture and I think it's yeah, literally, literally a six-pointed star. <laughs> but I didn't look at the map. I just <laughs> read the words that she wrote and it painted a different picture. I mean, it's it, it's a mountain with six tribes and for some reason I wasn't too bothered by them not warring constantly and that they got along. I, I think that's um, fine. I, they're yeah. more of like a United States sort of situation, you know, like right. yeah. we don't war between states in the United States, but we're, we have individual state governments. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And their religion kept them harmonized, but also got out tensions. I felt like, you know, they've got the, uh, what is it called? The tournament of the king once a year that they do. I mean, a yearly tournament in which you get to beat the crap out of everybody else yeah. helps reduce your stress levels a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and it kind of like gives the you purge. bragging rights. Oh, well, no. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. Same idea, right? <laughs> reduce crime rates by letting everybody do crime one day a year. Yeah, except they didn't kill each other. Just assault. So, to, to get back to world building, so one of the things about the book that annoyed me was Usually in like a fantasy book where they have like a magic system, they spend some time explaining like how it works and why it works and like the origins of it, maybe stuff like that. In this book, they just have like some runes that they do sometimes and they do things because they say they do things yep. and they toss it up to the power of the gods. So there's, there's, there's a idea in magic systems of a hard magic system and a soft magic system. Something like Harry Potter being a very hard magic system. Like, there are these spells, you have to learn them. It's Everything is prescribed, like you're describing. But then I there's something like Lord think... of the Rings. That's I don't soft... think Harry Potter is hard. I think hard means there's, like, specific rules, and it can only do these things. Whereas Harry Potter is, like, spells can do whatever they decide at any time. I, I think it has more to do... No, a Patronus spell does what a Patronus spell does. Right, right, a... but... And a the author spell can does just a make up a spell, spell to do something specific at any time. Whereas a hard magic system, you know the rules, they can only do these things. The okay, can perhaps. only do these things with Some, them. More like Avatar, where it's like, yeah. this is how earthbending works. Yeah. And to, any and to break any that thing. Yes, any <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Versus like a soft magic system, like in Lord of the Rings, where like, we don't really know what Gandalf's capable of. You know, he doesn't ever... There's no description of what he can do. So I didn't really mind that the runes were... What they, they described them through using them, what they could do and what they couldn't do. And I, I didn't feel any issue with not having more explanation of what the runes were capable of. They were, they were not powerful, right? They were as powerful as any stories you hear about religion in our current world, is how I felt it was. I disagree with the. Oh, there was not one powerful. that kept people from having girl children <laughs> for a very long time. There was so. one. So in the, to me, the very beginning, Dagmar runs his hand over a rune, which takes him like in an out-of-body experience and flies yep. him over, like through time, like forwards and backwards in time to see things. And I mean, it like knocks him completely out. Like, so, so let me rephrase. And he does the same thing at the end. Like that links back right. in finally. Yeah, so let me rephrase. There is powerful magic in this world, but it's not like a 
Avatar or Harry Potter world where anyone involved in the magic knows what the magic can do. It's more like a Lord of the Rings world where even the people who use the magic don't know what it's truly capable of and are surprised by it. Like we talked about earlier, Dagmar wasn't sure how to do undo Desdemona's rune. He wasn't sure if her rune would work. It's hocus pocusy, you know, very... Um, the the keepers use gentle runes to try to see what they can see, but they're not, you know, Jedi's grabbing lightsabers out of the air and seeing the darkness. Right. So to to follow on the that point um, about the rune, like the runes and it being the gods, like the the whole god situation in this book. It's like a so if you read the end um, where the author has her note, she talks about being excited that she got to like write a book in like a Norse mythology essentially, mm-hmm. and like I read that and I was like, "What are you even talking?" About? Like this has <laughs> basically nothing to do with Norse mythology except for the Norse gods exist. Yeah, and yeah. Thor and Loki at points. Yeah, and like Salok is supposedly a made-up Norse god that the the author One of made Odin's up. Sons, yeah, to be like the god of this island. And Salok also isn't important ever. Yeah, no, it's not, and and it's like, what is even the point of including that in the book if you're not gonna like lean into either something else in North mythology and like pull things from other stories or like have some sort of interaction with. It's so that she can have beings or... six perfect tribes all, <laughs> so... all on a perfect star island. It's so island. lame. Like, you're not... going to say, like, oh, I'm so excited to write a book in North... Norse mythology. Like, it's not even... You could rip all that out and it would be the same. Also, they include, like, regular Jesus and, like, you know, like all actually... the other religions. Well, let's get to that in a second. But uh, you make a really good point. What if she had literally created... Not even a pantheon, but just, you know, she mentioned Odin, Thor, Loki, and Salok. What and if Freya. she had just made up, and Freya, what if she had just made up five other god names? Would this book have been better or worse for that? Zero difference. It wouldn't See, have I changed. Think zero difference. The only reason that I like that she used Norse mythology was so that I had a general idea of them. Like, I knew that Freya was a woman, and so Freya being like, like them praying to her to get more women and like that the temple girls were like uh, under her eye so to say i don't know it just i was like oh okay i get this and i don't have to learn a whole nother new name and like out of Loki, all of right. thousand the lives. trickster like right. and so you know that but a comma and six words and another comma would have been all they needed to say yeah so and so the goddess of this land odin's wife comma continue yeah that's just like another thing that contributed to me being not excited about the world building in this book like yeah sort of, sort of bouncing off of that Alex like part of the one of the one of the things that I bring to a fantasy book as like a expectation I guess is that this magic or it you know it doesn't have to have magic or it can have like the soft magic that we were talking about but like if it does it should have some meaningful use in the story. Um, and it like, and it doesn't for most of the story, I think is the, is the issue I had where like the runes don't matter for most of the story, except for the fact that 
the runes touched off this drought of girl childs. But other than that, you know, they sure they like keep away infection and you know keep a fire lit and stuff. But like they don't really use them for anything interesting until the very end when they're important again because all of a sudden this other king wants them. Yeah. Can I also expand? Because I just kind of realized this, but Alba is not of Salok blood, but she has rune blood. So having rune blood is what activates these runes. And it makes me wonder, does everybody just have rune blood? Like, <laughs> That's a really like, good point. Alba, like, is, Alba does have rune blood, I mean, and I just took that for granted. But you're right, she's not of Salok at all. She's not, yeah, she... Which actually religion. leads into another problem I have with the book. The book's called The First Girl Child. <laughs> She's not the first girl child. I mean, I so that... so it The was... first girl child is born off-screen, for lack of a better term. It, like, during the in-between between the final chapter and the epilogue. And it's not even... Yeah, and the epilogue... Exactly, it's not even, like, a character that's mentioned in the book. Like, yeah, it's not, the, it's not even Bear's child. The thing... I, the thing I was waiting for in the book was for the revelation to take place that she's not the first girl child, that this child that's born at the end of the book is the first girl child that actually ends the drought. And that doesn't even happen. Like, I, I they don't thought, even actually write that in. I thought that the middle of the book would be Bear and Alba having their first girl child. Like, like yeah. I, I mean, it was foreshadowed so hard to me that like Bear and Alba are eventually going to end up together. And so I was like, oh, they're like, like, Bear is obviously the one to break the curse. So I was thinking yes. when he finds love and reproduces, he will have girls. He may not even have a single boy. I mean, he may not be able to have boys. He may only have female children. Which leads into a third thing that, <laughs> that I don't like. <laughs> in that the entire book, they say Bear is the salvation of Salok. Yes. What does he actually he, do? He did it. No, Dagmar, did it Dagmar saved Salok. Dagmar yeah. saved yeah. Salok. Because Again. I thought it was going to be Bear, whenever Bear has a kid, that'll break the curse, is what I thought it was going to be. But at the end of the book, he doesn't do anything. He no, doesn't so, do anything the entire book. So let's book. get back to pacing. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I really think we need to talk about that. Because... I'm actually surprised to hear how down y'all are on a lot of the book, because my biggest issue with the book was just the pacing. Yeah, pacing's can, very. Can off. we all it's agree that bad. that is the biggest issue? The biggest issue. <laughs> yeah. is I think pacing. we can. I also want to add the caveat: like, I would reread this book. I did not dislike this book overall. I thought it was a good read. There are just a lot of issues in it. Mm. I mean, I, I might be the only one that like. Like enjoy no, the reading I, the I, book, I overall but... had an enjoyable experience. The time I spent reading this book does not feel it, it's time I don't wish I had back. I enjoyed reading yeah. it. But when you sit here and you pick it apart, you know, and trying to like understand parts of it, you're realizing Alba doesn't have Salok blood. How in the world can she run runes? Like, right. it's just this so fascinating. Let's, so let's talk about so the pacing. pacing. Okay. So he... Cassie laid this out. So... Yeah. So I laid this out. So the prologue is a young Dagmar and Desdemona. And then the whole first part, so it basically... The book's broken into three parts. Yeah, the book's broken clear. into three parts. So the first and chapter... And it does line jumps... up with three X structure. So the first chapter is 10 years in the future from the prologue. And then the third chapter is seven years. So we've now gone 17 years in part one. Um, a synopsis of part one is that... 
Bayer is born. He turns seven. The king dies. Alba is born around this exact time frame. And this makes Banrood king because Banrood takes Alba and claims Alba as his own when really it's not. It's ghost child. Alba is ghost child. I shouldn't say it. Um, so all this pretty much happens in the first part. Um, in part two, part two takes place three years later when Bayer is 10. And um, time progresses very quickly before the end of the... Uh, before the end of part two, Bayer turns 14. Uh, the stuff that kind of happens here is they gather all the temple girls that I mentioned earlier to come to the temple. Um, Ghost actually made it to the temple in part one, but then she actually is invited inside of the temple to take care of the girls. Um, Bayer participates in the Tournament of the King, which then uh, kind of gets him on the long run of going to Dolphus, which is how part three starts. I'm skipping a lot of stuff, but just trying to give a general overview here. Part three is Bayer is now in Dolphus. Uh, it's three years after Bayer leaves. And then it, it kind of like skips forward. Some, sometimes it's not really clear when you're skipping forwards and you find little things like Alba is now turning 17. You're like, oh my gosh, well, like last chapter Alba was 11 and now she's 17. So we've just skipped forward six years. Um, and chapter three is where most of the story takes place and finalizes. I don't really want to like spoil that part if we want to go into a discussion. Sure, just... yeah. So that, I think that's the main problem is like parts one and two are so slow and like barely anything happens. And then a ton of stuff. It's like they shoved a rising action climax and falling action into part three. Well, because yeah. part three yeah. is the story and the rest of yeah. it is world building, world building that should be cut from the story. All yeah. of part one feels like a big, huge prologue. Because nothing relevant happens for any characters except arguably Banrood and Ghost. Yep. Yeah. And so really is what they could do is they could take all of part one, put it into a prologue, and then start with the Banrood and Ghost. And then the book would start with the quote-unquote first girl child, and I think none of us would mind the name. Well, yeah. I will say <laughs> that, that part one does outline Bear for you, and the fact that he is this ungodly strong, fast-growing boy who gets the world put on his shoulders and he has a stutter yeah but i, I think mean, you could i think you could accomplish that in two pages yeah you can get there and get the same thing that you got out of reading the entire because you one. get the same thing for dagmar and him raising bear and it'd be close i don't know for sure that's the other that's the other thing like when i say the story is in act three but i mean like when if you're if you're trying to like break down what the actual story is it's it is, you know, Act One, Act Two, Act Three. It lines up. I think it, I think it kind of works. I think it's just weak in its construction. I guess, um, where a lot of the time I'm reading the story and I'm confused about who I'm supposed to be, who I'm supposed to be looking at as like a as like a theme character. Who am yeah, I supposed who, to be looking the at as? Who's who's having a who's having a problem looking between two sides of an issue and trying to figure out what the right answer is um and i couldn't figure out who they were trying to make that because it seemed uh 
it, it seemed like through a lot of this book, Bear keeps coming up and it's like, oh, Bear's the main, like, you know, we want Bear to be the main character of the book when you're reading it. That's how it feels. But I had to keep telling myself, no, he's not, you know, he's not the theme driving character in this story. It's Dagbar. Well, and that's why I the first theme that pops in my mind is parenting, right? Because this book is about what Dagmar needs to do to make Bear successful once he's grown, right? And then part three is reaping the rewards of what Dagmar has done throughout Bear's whole life. And part two is Dagmar falling in love with Ghost and giving you a little bit more of Dagmar in the absence of Bear. Maybe. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, it's it's Dagmar struggling with his feelings and the other theme that we've talked about being loyalty, you know, and his loyalty. Where do his loyalties lie? Do they lie with his dead sister? Do they lie with his demanding father? Do they lie with his needy adopted son? Do they lie with his king? Do they lie with his keepers? Do they lie with his love interest? You know, he, he has been pulled in a perfect six-star direction for the for Salok. And so that's why I think he's a really interesting character, because he is having to make a lot of choices and and choose. You know, he can't give loyalty to all of them. He can only give loyalty to one or two without denying all the other ones. All right, so do we want to get into the end, the climax, and how the book resolves? I think it's time. How much climax are we going to talk about? I mean, there's a lot of climax in this book. <laughs> so, okay, so I was going to say that the book was graphic due to some of the intimate conversations, and he... I still don't know if I agree that it was graphic, <laughs> but I hadn't got to the point that she was discussing. Goodness and it, gracious. it gets fairly descriptive. Well, it's not descriptive about like sexually explicit content i can nope. just say that from reading the book i know how to french kiss now okay yeah i mean i can just tell you right. i know how to do this it's so detailed about kissing and then just skips over the rest which is fine but well you don't need there's to be that one detailed. page where it talks about all the things they do but then you know make sure to let you know that he's not giving her a seed because we don't we want to know <laughs> they that there's say not gonna yeah, be an illicit too. child yeah. Yeah. That's how they phrase it. Oh, it just yeah. like skews I, you out. You really a think bit. I have the capability to come up with that phrasing? Hold on, what did they say <laughs> in the beginning of the book that is just it was about ghosts and how like people are afraid their cocks will get frozen or something? Yeah. Uh, and I was familiar, just, yeah. like the moment I read that I was like, seriously? That was good. It's like seriously, what? this is this is the level we're writing at right now. <laughs> But I have, I have like, a series of notes when this part came up. Um, and it starts with the quote, Loving and kissing are two different things. And then, wait, 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 is this a kissing book? And then, what in the world is happening? And then, they didn't have sex, except they did in every sense of it. He just didn't get her pregnant. Yeah, okay. Yep. <laughs> I don't, a weird I don't scene. think they have intercourse. Okay, they definitely had oral sex. Like sure. they, okay. they said they did everything. That's true. Except they, no. share it's, seed. Yeah, it, it said explicitly they did everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That part, yeah. Well, I remember, uh, I think Bear is recounting it. And basically, it just talks about how she got him off. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, yep. I mean, like, like it, just to go along with it, she did everything. 
So I, I will agree that oral sex was in there, but... You're talking about the wet intimacy of her mouth. <laughs> ah, yeah. there you go. Oh, that, that, was that, was that was it. That was it. That was the line. Don't uh, so that that's one. not really the climax I was talking Oof. about. I was more talking about how <laughs> okay. All right. um, randomly we have a new antagonist show up at the very end of the book, which which provides the big battle you've been waiting for for the entire time, and which is very shortly squashed by one character. But also, please don't forget that this big battle we've been waiting for takes like five chapters for the king to even come back and have a battle. Yeah, like, no. Well, that's because that's where the whole story is. It's in those five chapters before <laughs> yeah. King Banrod gets where back. That's the intimate climax comes about. Yeah. And then now, finally, I the will king... say, I actually approved of the speed of the battle. I liked that it was like, yeah, wars are won and lost between 150 person surprise battles. Yeah. And they only last 10 minutes, you know, and then a temple collapses and it's all over as fast as it started. So, like, the, sp I actually the speed of the battle okay is fine. Um, what I don't think is fine is, like, I got confused during the writing of the action about what was going on and who was where. Because, yep. like, it seemed to me that there was a bunch of people ransacking a, a whole lot of places. And then all of a sudden... Uh, Dagmar collapses the just the temple, and apparently all of the Northmen were in the temple. Like That's all of them. One of my biggest problems with that battle is like the temple falls, and then everything is just over. Everything's fine right like, after that uh, one building falls. Mm -hmm. What well, happened? To all the I, people Bear think, was fighting and Dread. Well, I think they finished them. I think I think the fighting. I think they just killed everybody right about then, and anybody else that was left probably ran from the earthquake, thinking there was some sort of god-powered hell explosion that was about to turn them all into dust or something to, to be fair if i was in battle i'm not trained for battle if i was in battle and a temple earthquake fell down on my leader i'd probably just get the hell out of there if i'm losing and i feel like the the northmen were losing like i would just be like i'm out or i lay down maybe, my arms i mean not, maybe describe know. that then yeah 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 I I like think the writing... one line right under describing what happened to the chieftains and bear who were all fighting and talking about everybody leaving and running off would have really helped that feel more satisfying. There yeah, is a I line. Mean... I'll see if I can find it. But there is Fair. a line that basically says everybody stopped fighting. I just feel like they, they collapsed the temple and they're like, all right, cool. Then the book. Yeah. That, that's it. We're done. <laughs> yeah, no well, way. actually, you say, listen to the book, but I actually really thought that post-temple collapse was one of the better parts of the book. Yeah, um, I mean, with everybody getting their comeuppance gets... and, yep. you know, Dagmar finally fulfilling his duty and destiny and, you know, um, Alba didn't do anything interesting there either, did she? <laughs> no. Nope. Mm. <laughs> still, still not interesting. I found my line. Oh, go for it. So the whole, I'll just read you the whole little paragraph. It says, I think, how do you say good run? Is it? Is it? It's literally not listed on the Gudrun. pronunciation guide. Yeah, okay. it's Gudrun. So Gudrun, um, he bellowed, cursing the gods, his voice echoing out through the entrance door, and Alba and Ghost ran, keeping each other upright as the temple continued to rumble and roil. Northmen North began fleeing the mount, racing for the gates as the cobbles beneath them buckled and writhed, tossing the dead into the air and the living to their knees. I mean, that's, that's what it says. Man. That's actually a pretty good paragraph. If you gave me that paragraph, I would read this book. I will say, I will say, the book was easy to read, 
It had an yeah. interesting storyline. And my overall review is that there's no real twists and turns in it. So while we're talking about positives, that right there, I think, was her strongest thing, was the very descriptive language. And we joked about it when we were talking about the sex scene stuff, but she had descriptive language throughout the entire book. And it was, it really, it she didn't use big words or anything, you know, but she just used, I thought, the right amount of words to put your mind in the scene. So that that's one of the the thumbs ups I would give to this book. Yeah, I would say it's not like overly flowery, so that's good for me. She has an approachable writing style, which is always really good, especially in books where you have to learn new things as you're reading them. Yeah, I found it sometimes to be confusing, like specifically the battle. And there was this one line I have it pulled up because I it's been bothering me. Maybe it means something that I don't <laughs> understand, but. There's this one line. It was right after um, Dagmar had done the rune again to see the future, and Ghost was there with him, and they're walking back to the Temple Wood, and it says Desdemona's bones had risen from the soil in the Temple Wood and were clattering up the hill behind him. To me, that says a world with all this magic. Literally, her bones stood up and are walking towards the Temple. Wait, is that line really in there? That's in there, yes. I can confirm that line is in there, and I just glossed over it. I was like, I have, mm. "What is I that totally supposed to mean?" I glossed over that too, and I read that part last. I do night. not understand. That's going to be in chapter twenty-seven, so that you want to look it up. I didn't. I glossed over that, but when Ben Rude kills the highest keeper, he talks about like, yeah, here he goes. It says the king's hand shot out, plunging and retreating, a slippery eel with sharp teeth, like. <laughs> I Ivo stilled his runes wet on his arm, his blood pulling at his feet, his robes black, and yeah, whatever, keep going. But and then it says, "Oh, so hid the life that seeped from the skin and the eel that silently slid away." Did Master Ivo become an eel? I couldn't really tell. <laughs> I had and to read that multiple times. Did, he like, did Master Ivo just got stabbed? What what the hell just happened? Did well, he get stabbed? I think he yeah, got stabbed. Some... Later they talk about like, so so in that part. Master Ivo draws some runes on his arm and connects himself to Bear so that Bear can see what's happening. Which was awesome. And 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 he kind of like is telling Bear things inside of Bear's head. But but and like they talk about the rune on his arm and it's like yeah I connected him to a life force. I'm like oh that's cool he connected himself to this eel and now he's an eel and maybe he'll like somehow become a human again. <laughs> and, then, and then it goes on to tell you about Bear and then I'm like oh no he just connected himself to Bear so that Bear could see what was happening and tell him all this stuff. Then I'm like, but what happened with this eel? Wait, like, that's so you the thought, one like, part his, I could his not spirit comprehend. slithered out of him like an eel, like his soul went no, away. No, I thought like, like I'm imagining dark black robes and like, like just like he Obi Wan's out like, there, like mm. Nagiri to to Voldemort. Like it's not like his soul, but quite literally an eel that is now he has taken over. Can you read the eel bits again? <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe do that again. <laughs> Okay, here you go. It is chapter 28, in case you want to read it yourself. Yeah. Here we go. The king's hand shot out, plunging and retreating, a slippery eel with sharp teeth. I mean, I literally don't understand that line. Okay. That's what the king's hand was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I that's what I'm thinking. The eel. It's, it's the king's... Yeah, like the, the uh, hand with the knife is the eel. It's like, eel it's with like the a teeth. metaphor. Wait, was okay. there a knife? Yes, the king stabbed Ivo. We all know, we all agree on that, right? I mean, I will agree that he killed. 
I okay. I don't necessarily know that he killed Ivo. What does he shove his hand in his chest? That's Where? that's what I thought I read. Kalima, like an eel's sharp teeth. Yeah. Okay, Maybe. so the king's hand shot out a sl- like a slippery eel with sharp teeth. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I think so I the with that. sharp teeth part implies he's holding a sharp object. Maybe. Well, okay. So it says it Ivo stills, his runes wet on his arm, his blood pooling at his feet. His robes, black and voluminous, hid the life that seeped from his skin and the eel that silently slid away. The, the king eel that silently back. slid away is the arm retreating after stabbing. Sure. sure. Yeah. And it says, the next line says, the king stepped back and watched him crumple, folding into himself without a word of protest. Okay, but if we go before this, and I'm just kind of like looking, it never once says that the king has anything sharp that is i mean it just it it foreshadows if you can call it foreshadowing when it's just a few sentences ahead but it says that um ivo saw his mistake mistake he'd confirmed the one thing the king feared most he knew what the king had done and then that would not stand um so like you know like oh okay Ivo's got it out for him. He's going to die soon. But the slippery eel metaphor just didn't make sense to me. I'm still, <laughs> like, y'all have explained it so I understand it. And I've totally taken a turn from Caleb's point of it just kind of being confusing in some parts. But I, that part was just so confusing. I just, I, I looked at it. It was like, I can read that 300 times and still not know what he's trying to say. I'll keep going. Maybe it'll explain itself later. It does not explain itself later. I need a whole team of guys to tell me what it means. <laughs> Yeah, you guys solved Cassie's eel problem. Can you solve my clattering bones problem? Yeah. Because I'm very it's, confused. No, uh, that is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's a metaphor for, for her, her watching over Dagmar. But the metaphor for that comes afterwards. I don't know, man. That metaphor comes this... afterwards because it says her spirit was all around him. Yep. Good job. Got that metaphor. What's the part with the clattering bones? They wanted, she wanted something more visceral. I guess, yeah. I think it's all, all these little nitpicks contribute to the idea that we have a few issues with the way she writes. Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's strange because I feel like 90, I'm throwing out random percentages, but 99% <laughs> of her writing is very clear to me. I'm understanding what's happening. And all of a sudden it's like, what? What, what does that mean? Like, what does that one line mean? It's really weird to me because... I feel like it's issues you would see with a person that is relatively new to writing novels or something like that. Yeah. And then you go read about the author and she's written 14. So I don't know. Well, I mean, I I think this is more of an editor question. Her editor is clearly really used to her writing style. And so when she uses these metaphors and stuff, we all agreed earlier that most of them come through very clear and easy but apparently some yeah, of them just, a few just slipped are... through that were really weird. Yeah, maybe that is the case. Okay, we still haven't gotten to the main climax of the story. We've talked a bit about the battle. Um, but more, ha- I mean, unless y'all think the battle is the climax. I mean, sort of, it leads into, I mean, all that's kind of the climax. But I guess you're referring to the confrontation with the king? Yes. After the battle? King just kind of disappears for a while and then shows yeah, up at the end. Was anybody thinking he's still going to be in control? I mean, I, I, I feel like I've, I'm, I have a higher opinion of, of Banrud than everybody else. But I was very angry when it was when it seemed that he was just dead. 
I don't oh, know if anybody yeah. else had. I have like all caps and bolded text in my notes. That he just died <laughs> off scene. Because there's something like, yeah, there's something like, um, wait, well, some line like, it was a fitting end. And I'm like, yeah, if a fitting end? <laughs> yeah, for this, it like, it felt like he was just <laughs> Wait, so was nobody else bothered by the fact that he just went and cowered in the temple? Because that did not seem characteristic of him to me. Yeah. It is characteristic, is what I'm trying to tell you, I... is that he's he sought power he knew that this was happening he didn't cower in the temple he was just like this ain't my fight i brought him here i'm gonna let him kill the people lock the door and when it, and he, i think he legitimately thinks that his chieftains will win if they do that's good i mean if they don't i think he'd be fine with it but he'd just be like oh you guys won good job we did it woo i mean that's literally what he does when he walks out that's what he but, tried to do yeah. Right. Well, I think his I think his whole goal was to come out and be like, "All right, we did it, guys. I was here the whole time." Yeah. Which is what he tries to play off. Yeah. But I don't see him as like a coward or a pansy, so I don't understand why he wouldn't just fight with his people. He he wanted to win. He would have won either way in his mind, right? The the North King gets his way, he wins. The and if the chieftains defeat the king of the north he also wins because he can come out and play it off so i think in his mind it's a win-win it probably would have helped if he if just sits on the side the chieftain of bear didn't die in literally the first strike of burn yeah yeah burn well so i think i think it's not written but i think the implication is that king banrood had a deal with gunrud about bringing the Northmen there. I mean, he had Burn do it, and I think he had Burn killed in the first strike, so that Burn, the chieftain of Burn, could not speak to it in any way, shape, or form. So that no matter the outcome, whether the kingmen or the Northmen prevailed, and thus he probably was promised to stay king of Salok, or if the Northmen fell, he gets to come out pumping his arms, all like, "Yeah, we mm. did it." I think that I mean I yeah. I think that is the one way in which he is actually cunning because I I think that's what happened. But I think it didn't that's even an important say. enough idea. That's an important enough idea that I think it would have been written about if that was something the author was actually well, thinking. Maybe she should have thought it because I it, <laughs> it makes Banner feel flat if he doesn't have that. Yeah. Like I mean I when I was reading this I was just like well this must have been his idea. I mean, I came up with it for him, but this must yeah, have been his idea. It's kind of like a sending Bathsheba's husband out front and telling them to retreat. Like, he's just, yeah, put Benji out in front and then he'll inevitably die. Yeah, he, he's right. definitely mishandled. His character is mishandled. I mean, a lot of the characters mishandled in this book. So what did y'all think about some of the side characters, like some of the other chieftains, like Benji and... um. The Lothgar and I forget the J one's name. Yosef, maybe? Yeah. I don't have an opinion. I thought Aiden of Adyar was great, but we already know that. I did like Aiden. He added some levity, which is nice. I mean, Dread, though technically never a chieftain, if I recall correctly. Sure, but that's the type of character. But, I mean, right. he, he was kind of weird of a character like hey you're my grandson bear great go sleep with this woman and have your time and then that i'm gonna weird. take you home and make you chieftain i'm <laughs> just like what is happening i don't really understand that plot line like 
maybe someone can explain it, but I don't fully understand Dredd's thought process as as a as a character. I understand it as a book role, if that makes sense. Well, he found out he had a grandson, right? Uh, didn't ever know that before. Immediately felt like he had to protect him. And there's something in there about how he noticed, like, the king understood that he was his son, I guess, right? When then or somewhere. And that's the reason why he needed to bring him away. And the king wouldn't have let him go because he had loyalty to protect the temple girls and his daughter. And the only way to let him go would be if he was to become chieftain. Yeah, so Dredd claimed Bear in front of everybody at the melee and said that my daughter Desdemona is the mother of this child and Bear knew that he had slept with Desdemona. So Bannard slept with Desdemona, Bear is the child of said sleeping. Bannard. So so yeah, that's why Bannard knew that it was his child. And that's So there's actual motivation there. there. It just kind of I mean when you pointed out I mean I knew all that stuff reading it. I guess it just feels really fast. Like, just boom, boom, boom. This happens. Yeah. Which makes sense, I guess, in real world. Like, that probably happened that fast. I mean, I, I mean again, that's, that contributes to our issue. The biggest issue yeah. of the book is the pacing. Okay. So they didn't really spend a lot of time to explore it. It just kind of all happened. I feel like, once. though, that we've still missed the climax of this book and the fact that we didn't talk about how Bannerwood dies. We got we got really close right. and then we diverged. And I think right. it is the most interesting the mo- I think it's the most satisfying part of the book. Yeah, so should I just read it directly? Oh sure if you if you have it up. So basically he comes out um and tries to say, Hey, we did it guys and all the chieftains are like, No, screw that crap. You uh you didn't help us. And so then the so Ghost actually steps forward and says, She is not your daughter. Banrid's face paled and Ghost felt bare stiffen behind her, and that is not your crown. The keepers may be king, Banrid hissed, his hands tightening on his sword. Ghost thought for a moment he would try to strike her down. She willed him to do it. You lied to the keepers, you lied to the clans, you lied to your son, and you lied to my daughter. We will take your crown and we will choose a new king, she said, demanding he hear her. Demanding he see her. The keepers are gone, he sneered, and you are a slave. The keepers are not gone, Yulia called, pushing her way through the crowd. Um, and then all of the other chieftains took and cut off their braids, basically signifying the death of a king. And then it says, Banrid lunged towards Ghost and grabbed her, using her as a shield as he thrust his sword at Bear's chest, knowing, as he'd always known, that it was Bear who would replace him, Bear who would take his power, and Bear who would wear his crown. But it was Ghost who took his life. And basically, it goes to describe how she stabbed him when he pulled her to her. But the next line is, and mayhaps he'd known that too, because when Banrod becomes king and moves up to the temple, this is after he stole Alba, Ghost's child, he has this nightmare of this wraith woman this woman in all white and ghost is called ghost because she's albino i mean i don't think there's a better word to describe her the fact that she's albino and it freaks everybody out so she tries to hide her 
um, her skin and her hair from everybody. So then the very last line is, while he's dying, he says, Who are you? He gasped, blood bubbling from his lips. And she says, I am Desdemona. I am Alana. I am Ivo, and I am Bear. I am the daughters of the clans and the keepers of the temple. I am Alba's mother and Dagmar's friend. I am everyone you have wronged, and I am Ghost, the new highest keeper. And that's literally the last line of the entire book. Yeah, and I felt like reading that, I felt like the author came up with that line like a long time ago and was like, yeah, yeah I need to get to <laughs> it this. It was a good freaking line. Uh, it felt a little overdramatic to me. Like, oh, I loved it. I rolled my eyes a little bit. Yeah. For, for a book that needed some drama that was actually worthwhile, I think it delivered. The books just feel so flat that that gives it life. Yeah. But then leaves me wanting more in a weird sense. Do we want to just go around and give like a general, did you enjoy it? Uh, would you recommend it? And then like, uh, I want to, I want to give like a solid, like thumbs up, thumbs down from each person so that we can gauge like a number of stars sort of situation. Okay. <laughs> let's establish what is a thumbs up. Is it a like you should read this book is a thumbs up? Or I mean, do you want to do like a, a broader scale? I just want to do like a yeah nah yeah nah sort of well, situation. I guess I'm trying to what is the question I'm yeah nang? Uh would you recommend it? I think is a, the best question. Not did you enjoy it? Would you recommend it? I think that's the best question. Would you recommend it? Okay. Yeah, because did you enjoy it? I think if you're recommending it, you enjoyed it, right? Well, not necessarily. No, not necessarily. I... Like, what if I enjoy that weird fish that they put in the ground and let it rot for several months? Even if I enjoyed it, I would know not to recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what that means. Oh, boy. Okay. How about you give a did you enjoy it or not, and then you give a would you recommend it or not. Ooh, cool. Both of them. And by would you recommend it or not, I want a thumbs up, thumbs down. Let's start. Let's start with Abe the top of the list here did i enjoy it that's so, so this is a hard question for me for everything because i read i feel like i read books weird <laughs> and there are books that i have stopped reading because they were very bad and i did not do that with this um it you know it was it was she was doing everything in the book that i expected to see just I thought not maybe not as strongly as possible. Like there were places where um, the story could have been a little bit stronger, a little bit more engaging, I guess. Um, it it was easy to read when I had it in my hands, but you know, if you put it down, I don't have that urgency to pick it back up or to finish it. So it's one of those things where like I wasn't I wasn't fully engaged like that the whole time. So I guess in that sense, it's a more of a meh. Um, I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy it fully, but I, you know, so I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm at like a two and a half out of five stars on this one. It's it's definitely it doesn't it doesn't really check the boxes that I want checked with a fantasy story, and I think that's maybe part of the issue. Is I came in wanting to read a fantasy story, and I didn't really get what I wanted out of it. Um, so in terms of like recommending it to people, I would probably recommend it to 
someone who's on more of the more of the romance fence than the fantasy fence like sort of in between the two genres and not necessarily someone that's coming from fantasy and wants another fantasy story to read or wants you know something that's like fantasy world buildy um, but someone that is coming from a coming from a perspective of i like to read love stories and i like you know things that have sappy romance between two people um i think it probably checks more of those boxes if i can jump in along those lines i would probably only recommend it to somebody who is kind of big into young adult but just moving out of young adult because it feels a lot like a young adult book you'll I get think, your turn in Caleb. a lot of ways i know but i'm just <laughs> i feel like it fit right now okay and I really, I, I want to be, I want a hard thumbs up, thumbs down for the recommendation. I want to be able to like list this. Um, so we're in fantasy genre. I'm going to give you a thumbs down. Okay. That's, that's acceptable. Um, it's going alphabetically. I'll go next. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would have to say there were parts that I enjoyed few and far between in between and for a lot of the book i just felt like it was slow and not a ton was happening so i would have to say i didn't really enjoy it too much um and overall not to not to say too much i'm just gonna go ahead and say overall i would probably give it a thumbs down on recommendation um Billy, if you'd like to give a few thoughts so i would give it a thumbs up and um I call a book like this, it's kind of like candy. It's not really good for you, but it's enjoyable while you're, you know, having it. So that would be my my overall consensus. Um, I, I did, one thing y'all didn't bring out that I thought uh, was a major theme in this book was the kind of rise of women. Uh, I think Desdemona paved the way in that. And um, so the whole book is about you know, starting with Ben Rood and the way he treats women, his wife, the midwife he kills, even his own daughter, uh, but then, you know, Ghost is somewhat respected by Dagmar anyway, so she rises to this place of the highest keeper by the end of the book. So to me, there was this whole theme of, of the rise of women in this male-dominated society, so I thought that was very interesting. I thought that could have been developed a little more, but that was probably my favorite part of the book. But again, I would recommend it just for, you know, candy. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, Caleb, you have anything to add to that? Uh, yeah. So I probably, if I were reading this book not as part of the book club, there are probably points at which I would have stopped reading it because it just wasn't interesting enough. But I'd have to say I didn't particularly enjoy it, and I probably wouldn't recommend. So that's thumbs down. And uh, Cassie. So I enjoyed reading the book i i liked it overall as far as a fantasy book goes i think there are better fantasy books and i, I kept so i kept telling myself yeah this would probably be a good like introduction to fantasy book and it's like no 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 there, there's betters like they're they're just i think justifiably a better book to read if you want to read in the fantasy whether you're new to fantasy or you're an experienced fantasy reader. So overall, I would give this a thumbs down. Interesting. Okay. And uh, Sam, what so do you think? My thoughts are actually very similar to Cassie's, but I don't think that this is 
just because there are better books out there does not mean I didn't thoroughly enjoy reading this book. And I actually would recommend someone read this book, one, because it is, I thought, easy to read, and y'all all know that I really like descriptive language anyway, so I really appreciated her descriptive language. And so I actually had such an enjoyable time with the the way that she wrote like each individual paragraph that I actually really enjoyed reading the book and would actually give it a thumbs up. Great. All right. So I think that kind of concludes our thoughts. I'm sure we could run on for ages about different specific parts of the book, but uh, I think we covered a good portion. So coming up on the book club, we are going to be reading short stories next month for December. Yeah. The lottery by Shirley Jackson and story of your life by Ted Chiang? Ted Chiang. I didn't want Ted to try Chiang. to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, now, is it Story of Your Life, or is that the name of the collection? The name of the actual story is Story of Your Life. The okay. collection is The Story of Your Life and Others, Oh, I believe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that sounds oh. right. But we are, we are just reading two specific short stories. Which the story of your life is the one that is the inspiration for the movie Arrival, right? Right, yes. Correct. That sounds cool. I'm excited about that. I thought that movie explored a really interesting concept, but didn't have enough of the concept explored. So I'm curious to read the book. <laughs> okay. Well, it is a short story, so I don't <laughs> yeah. know what you're going to get Don't out get too excited, yeah. probably. But uh, that will be next month on Expanding Horizons. Uh, once again, I was Alex, and we were joined by Abe and uh, Jelly and Caleb and Cassie and Sam. So look for us next time. And uh, see you guys later. Mayhaps I have rune blood. <laughs> <laughs>